Welcome, book nerds, to this episode of the podcast, where we'll be speaking with Edward Willett, the author of Moonlit World. Fresh off their adventures in a world inspired by, by Jules Verne, Shauna Keys and Carl Yatsar find themselves in a world that mirrors much darker tales. Beneath a full moon that hangs motionless in the sky, they're forced to flee terrifying creatures that can only be vampires only to run straight into a pack of werewolves. After Carl is spirited away to the castle of the Vampire Queen, Shauna must navigate this deadly world and find Carl, discover the mysteries of this strange world, and escape it all without being sucked dry, devoured, or worst of all, turned into creatures of the night themselves. Let's get to it and see what Edward has to say about his new book. All right, book nerds, I'm really excited to talk to the author today, so let's get right to it, and let's start talking with Edward Willett. How are you doing this morning, Edward? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's still a little early here. Uh, my coffee's brewing, but so I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to starting drinking that, but otherwise, it's uh, I think it's going to be a good day. I think I'm on my third cup, so I'm good. <laughs> wow, you, you're, 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 you're ahead of me on that. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of our listeners who don't know who you are or don't aren't familiar with your books, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. Uh, my name is Edward Willett. I'm a multiply published author. I have 60-some books of both nonfiction and largely science fiction fantasy on the fiction side. Uh, the current book is called The Moonlit World, and it's book three in my series called World Shapers, which uh, came out, uh, started in uh, 2018 from Daw Books, so they've been coming out at one a year. Um, yeah, so that's the new one. And uh, would you like me to explain the premise behind the series? Please, that would be fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, it's basically set in a labyrinth of shaped worlds. These are worlds where the people who have shaped them actually live inside them. So the, the metaphor I always use is uh, it's um, authors living inside the worlds that they've created. Uh, it starts, so World Shaper, book one, starts in what seems to be our world, but there's some significant differences, like uh, lacrosse is the big professional sport, is one that always comes to mind. Uh, and uh, my main character, Shauna Keys, is living a very nice life in a small Montana city, except uh, horrible things suddenly start happening. Um, uh, her best friend is killed in what seems to be a, a terrorist attack, and the stranger shows up and says that actually her world is now under attack by this adversary who's going to take it over and that it's not the first world, the real world. It's a world that she shaped, even though she doesn't remember it. She has to flee and he thinks that she has the power to save the other shaped worlds in the labyrinth from the adversary if they can travel from world to world and gather the knowledge of the making of the worlds and take it to the mysterious agrarian who's kind of at the, the spider at the center of the web of the labyrinth. So that's what starts us off in the first book. The second book, uh, which will be out in uh, mass market paperback uh, in August, just before mass, uh, uh, Moonlit World comes out in September, is called Master of the World. And it's set in a Jules Verne-like uh, world that she falls into. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that one, the floating islands and submarines and weird airships and all that great stuff that you find in Verne. And then the new one, The Moonlit World, well, my working title for a long time was Werewolves and Vampires and Peasants. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> it's a world where the moon shines full all the time. And there are vampires and there are werewolves and there are peasants and there's bad things happening. And she has to figure out what's going on with her companion, Carl Yatzer, the mysterious stranger that knows more than she does, but doesn't know everything. 
um, and they have to figure out what's going on and find the shape of this world and gather the wisdom of this world and then go on to the next and part of their quest. So that's the premise of the series. And yeah, the the new book is Werewolves and Vampires. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you had me at werewolves. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the process like and how did you decide to, on like what these different worlds would be and how many worlds, you know, uh, would you say like in this whole labyrinth are there? I, I am non-specific. There are potentially hundreds, definitely hundreds, possibly thousands. Uh, the shapers have all been trained in a, a school in the real world, our world by agrar, And then they're given these worlds to shape for reasons that are complicated. <laughs> uh, it actually has a science fiction backstory, although it sounds like a, it sounds like a fantasy. Agrar is actually, uh, from an alien race, a super powerful alien race, but she's a criminal with them. She's a bit like Doctor Who in that regard. She basically stole something and ran away with it. Um, so it's really wide open. And I started with our world, obviously, because you have to have that in into the whole premise. Uh, Jules Verne one, um, I've always been a fan of Verne. I've always enjoyed that kind of steampunk thing that's, that it feels like now when we read his stuff, although, of course, he thought of it as future science fiction. And then the werewolves and vampires, I've always wanted to write a story about werewolves and vampires, so I did. Uh, other things I've had for future books, if they happen, um, I'd love to do one in a, like the next one after this one, if it happens, would be a film noir world um, with, you know, gangsters and you dirty rat and that kind of stuff going on. I could literally do anything with this premise, and I think that's uh, that's what has appealed uh, to me about it. Yeah, I mean, with that many kind of unlimited uh, world choices, it seems like there could be almost an unlimited amount of books. You could just keep writing as long as you wanted to. As long as I wanted to and as long as people will read them. <laughs> that's the other That's the other part of it. <laughs> so what was your inspiration for starting this series? Uh, that, it, it, it had a very different beginning. It was originally entirely fantasy and it was set in like this valley with caves that went to these different worlds. That was my original premise. Over time it changed and now it's, it's actually a contemporary story, um, in the version of the world that she's in. It's, you know, it's basically our world. Um, I think the, the thing that really, I was looking for a premise that would allow me to write a lot of different kinds of stories. It was, I referenced Doctor Who, and of course, I think that's the greatest storytelling premise anybody's ever come up with, because within the Doctor Who universe, you can go anywhere, anytime, tell any kind of story you want, whether it's historical or science fiction. Um, and they're not, they don't even have to be internally consistent because it's time traveled and the timelines <laughs> can change. So, oh, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. That's right. It's the perfect storytelling. I wanted something that I could play in a universe like that. And then I've always been, my own podcast is where I interview, it's called The World Shapers. Yeah, it came out, it started at the same time as the book series, where I interview other authors about their creative process. And, uh, I've always enjoyed talking to authors about how they create worlds and how all of us do this strange thing that we do as authors and this was a way to kind of uh, make that physical and what would it be like if you were an author who had to live inside a world that you created and even though that sounds wonderful if you set it up right part of the premise of the story is that like in the, the moonlit world uh, the shapers um, created a world that uh, things started to go wrong and they no longer had the power to, to change it because they used it all up in shaping the world to begin with. And now they have to live with the consequences. So I think that's very interesting too. 
Yeah, you you can only you can only shape and change it so much before you know you you run out of changes you can make. Yeah, it depends on the shaper how much power they have. So. so, as you have mentioned already, you know Doctor Who. I am a huge Doctor Who fan, and I love that he can tra- You know, he's got the TARDIS and he can travel through time and space. And heck, the show can even change actors and just call it the same person <laughs> with the regeneration. Yeah. That that show is like almost unlimited as long as they can keep telling stories. But how does the and you know you don't have to answer this if it gives too much away, but uh, how how does the transportation between the worlds work? Uh, it's a portal system. Um, again, there is a science fiction backstory, and there's the uh, my main. And this is not giving anything away. It's in the books before you get too far in. Uh, the mysterious stranger Carl Yatzer is actually an assistant to Agrair, who's this alien at the center of all of this. And uh, she has given him some nanotechnology in his bloodstream that gives him the ability to open portals between the worlds. Uh, There are some restrictions on that. There's never more than two portals in a world going to two different worlds. So they don't go and you you don't know what the next world is going to be until you go through it. And then Shauna Keys gets the ability to do some of this herself as we go along. But it's all based on this kind of uh, nanotechnology that's in the bloodstream. And uh, yeah, that's it's just uh, they they open a portal. There's only a specific place where it can be opened, which gives me the great opportunity to force them to make a cross country journey or around the world journey to get to where the next portal can be opened with all the adventures that that can imply. Uh, and then they get there, they can open the journal, and then you just walk through it. All right. So did you have to do any uh, like learn or do any research about nanotechnology to make it even somewhat like feasible? Or did you just kind of make up the rules as, as you no, fit for that? This is far, well, not well, far future. It's really ancient past because this, this uh, my alien race used to basically rule the galaxy. Uh, and then they, they let go. But the technology that enabled them to go from world to world, which is tied into this labyrinth of shaped worlds. They just used it as a transportation area, but Agrair figured out that you could do more in it. So all of that is just, you know, it's it's that, it's Clark's law. It's any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So I'm using that. I don't have to explain anything about the nanotechnology except that it's alien and it works. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. I, I do love that saying, any advanced technology simply appears as magic. I actually reference it here and I turn it around so that uh, any sufficiently advanced mag- or how did I put it? Magic can appear like advanced technology. I mean, it flips both ways if you're writing a fantasy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So I'm really curious to know more about the characters in this world and kind of this this new world, this moonlit world. So could you elaborate a little bit more about the backstory of the characters and, you know, their why you chose the names and, you know, why you chose, <laughs> you know, and created them the way that you did? Well, this is a slight giveaway, but what makes this world unique is that there are two shapers who who shaped it together. And uh, I don't remember what last names I gave them, but one of them is uh, Queen Patricia. She's the queen of the vampires and Queen Stephanie, who's the queen of the werewolves. And I chose their first names because of Patricia Briggs and Stephanie Myers, who write about werewolves and vampires. So Makes sense. <laughs> that's, where that's where their names came from. Because one of the things about the books that I should mention is that it's full of my sense of humor. It's got tons and tons of pop culture references because my main character, Shauna Keys, and her name is actually a 
anglicization of a Celtic term that means storyteller, I believe. So uh, that's where that came from. And Carl Yatzer's last name, Yatzer, is uh, from Hebrew for potter, if I remember right. Um, and so I'm, those words are, they're all, they were all deliberately picked to tie into this because my main character is a potter and it's about shaping things. So, so those were kind of the ways I worked on the, the names of the characters. Um, but the backstory for this one is that these two women who became shapers uh, liked werewolves and vampire stories. And one of them really wanted to be a werewolf and one really wanted to be a vampire. But because of the way the shaping works, they couldn't shape themselves. However, by having two shapers in the world, they could each shape things that could then affect the other. So the queen of the vampires actually shaped the werewolves who then bit her friend and turned her into a werewolf. And the queen of the werewolves shaped the vampires who then bit her friend <laughs> and turned her into a vampire. So they are actually, even though they came from our world originally, they're actually a vampire and a werewolf queen. Uh, so, and I got to play a lot with tropes about vampires. And one thing I discovered writing a werewolf story there's a lot of unavoidable nudity in a werewolf story. <laughs> I've never had so many naked characters in, this, in a book as I do in the Moonlit World. <laughs> well, yeah, I would I would think that um, you know werewolves uh, they they don't exactly wear clothing as much as you know other monsters and creatures of the like. And my character does make a notice on that. It said like trying to keep people dressed was like whack-a-mole playing whack-a-mole. So. <laughs> <I'm quite laughs> Which is kind of how I felt. It's like, okay, they got to have, I got to find cloaks. Where are they going to get cloaks? I got to get them dressed at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a big fan of like these mythical creatures before you wrote the book, or did you have to do any research and learn more, or like read other vampire and werewolf books to like learn more about like how well, how authors you know write them or like the backstory and history and lore? I just drew on what I knew already from the back of my head because. The other great thing about this is that although these are werewolves and vampires, they don't ha they were shaped by somebody who wanted to make them their own kind of werewolf and vampire. So they have like uh, different restrictions than you might have on some and some things work and some things don't. And that keeps my character off guard because the lore that she remembers, which is basically what I know from everything that's been, you know, all the movies and all the books and. There's no canonical thing there, right? Everybody twists the legends the way they want to. So I yeah. did too. And so did the shapers of this world. And it occasionally throws her off like uh, uh, vampires, if they're caught in the sun, don't turn to dust because that made my story very difficult. Um, <laughs> and it would have made the shaper like, why would you, you wouldn't want to put that into yourself, right? That's one of those aspects you'd really rather not have. Yeah, don't put the giant big flaws and uh, weaknesses into your yeah. uh, into your race. You still have to get the stake to the heart is still the best way to kill one, but you know, that's unlikely to happen. Um, so what I did was give them the same thing that basically werewolves have, which is when they're not under the full moon, they're just ordinary humans. And so my vampires, once the sun comes up, they're just ordinary humans as well. Uh, so I did things like that to make the story work better. And because, as I said, I didn't feel there was some holy Bible of werewolf and vampire lore I had to adhere to. So could you could you elaborate a little bit more on the main characters, the uh, these, you know, and what kind of what uh, how you went about creating those? And was there I always love asking um, authors like, do they ever name characters after people that they actually know, like in their family or friends or anything like that? 
I have done that. I did do it in this book. One thing I did do with the character was for a fundraiser for my daughter's uh, high school, I did the auctioning off a character name. Uh, so there is actually what, and usually people put those in as kind of minor characters, but this one actually is a fairly major character towards the end of the book. So there's a character there named Emma, uh, who's uh, actually a classmate of my of my daughter's because uh, her parents bought the the character name. Uh, so there is that. Uh, my main character is Shauna Keys. Um, the interesting thing about her is that she doesn't know she's a shaper until Carl, the mysterious stranger, shows up and tells her, and these things start happening. And what happens is when her friend is killed, she actually sets back time um, three hours, but it doesn't resurrect her friend. Uh, everybody just forgets her friend ever existed. No, didn't exist as far as they're concerned. And she, that's one of her first clues that something weird is going on. But she doesn't remember anything. So part of her journey is discovering what power she has and how to use it. And uh, she's kind of my author character in a way and asking questions like, well, uh, you know, is it is it just because you have the power? Is it ethical to change people to serve your purposes? You know, are they real people or are they just make believe characters? You know, if they were author characters, like she's just a make-believe character to me, and I do terrible things to her. But if these, if your made-up characters had flesh and blood and seemed in every other aspect to be real, and yet you could change them in an instant or change what has happened to them or what will happen to them, there's some interesting ethical questions there that, that arise, and I like playing with that. Um, so she's the one character, and she is the... She's the one that you identify with. It's a first-person narrative for the most part. So you get very much, you're with Shauna almost all the way. Uh, Carl's backstory is he was the one who found Egrere when she crash-landed on Earth back in the 19th century. He's much older than he looks. And uh, he's been kind of her right-hand man all along. Uh, and he, she sent him out into the labyrinth to find a shaper who could gather all this knowledge and bring it back to her so she could... She's dying and she needs, for again, complicated reasons, <laughs> she needs all this knowledge so she can save the labyrinth as a whole. Um, and uh, he's interesting. He, we get him in third person uh, in his sections, and we, you don't get quite as deep into his, his head, certainly in the first book. We're getting a little more into it in the third book. And uh, he's, um, he knows quite a bit more than she does. Uh, and... His goals are different than hers. She is a tool, as far as he's concerned, to save the labyrinth because if he pulls off this quest, Igrer has promised him that he will become a shaper and he has a specific kind of world that he wants to shape if he can ever get that power. So even though they're side by side and they're companions and they're, they're friends, there's a certain level of tension between my two main characters as well. So all of these things just give me... Lots and lots and lots of stuff to play with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can only imagine. I mean, it, it must give you so much creative freedom as opposed to, I mean, I've talked to a lot of other authors and they they stick to more like, oh, you know, they create the world and like they kind of call it done and then stick to the rules that they've set. But it sounds like in this book series, kind of there, there are still some basic principles to stick to. But overall, like you can kind of shape the world however you want. And if you ever come with an, a good idea... You can always use that for the next world that they go to. Yeah, it's and that was my whole goal of the series. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, I don't know if you ever watched the, the TV show Sliders. 
I saw a couple of episodes. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that. Not obviously, you know, just not not obviously it's not the same, but uh, I, I like that concept of kind of like switch, you know, sliding in like in Doctor Who as well, like you said, you know, going from world to world, and there there's some very similar to Earth, there are some that are vastly different. Do you have any ideas for like future worlds where they're just going to be like? completely like you know gravity's upside down or like time travels in reverse like anything really crazy that you're wanting to do well there are some rules around that and that you can play with physical laws some but and i have hinted at worlds like that i don't have anything specifically in mind um there are consequences for the choices that you make and the worlds get the things that you don't specifically shape get kind of ported over from the real world. Uh, so you might have exactly the same landscape. For example, if you didn't want to shape the landscape, you would have the same mountains and like in, our, in the world that Shauna shapes. It's still our world with just some differences. Or they can go completely wild. So obviously in werewolves and vampires, you're playing with physical laws. Um, I don't have any specific ideas for anything way out there. I would probably at some point do a, a more magical world uh, I don't think I could do a time travel world. I don't think I, that would work in my <laughs> overarching story. So I would just say time travel is impossible no matter what world you're in. There, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> you heard you heard it here, ner uh, book nerds. Uh, even when she puts time back in her own world, she didn't really reset time. She Time kept going forward. She just brought people's perception back three hours is kind of the way I explain it. So, okay, okay. So it's not actually changing, like the laws of physics and the world and the time. You're just altering people's memories, essentially. Yeah, and pushing the sun back. I guess now that I think about it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> change it. You can change. You can. It seems like you can change. Uh, you know, uh, the location of things and move things around. But obviously, like you said, you know, you, time still is a. Uh, you know, is still a. Uh, a mental construct and not something physical that can be changed. Yeah. And again, and it's such a wide open premise. If I decide at some point that I would like to do something different, I can always come up with a, an explanation for it after the fact. <laughs> the, uh, the creative freedom of being the author of the book series. Exactly. <laughs> so did you write any, like certain, any books uh, before this series that kind of launched you into wanting to write this book series? Or did you, you know, what was the, I know we already, I already asked the inspiration for this series, but um, like what made you kind of like, what started the idea? I don't know. I think it was literally me trying to come up with an idea that would allow me to write an open-ended series. I, and I, this is just what I came up with. Uh, this is my, let's see, World Shaper was my, eighth novel for Daw Books, I think. So I'm up to my Moonlit World is my 10th. I think it's my 10th. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of, and there's been like my first two book, my first book was a standalone Lost in Translation. Then there was a two book duology, uh, which was published as the Helix War when they were put into an omnibus. Then I had a, another standalone as Lee Arthur Chain under a pseudonym called Mage Bane. And then I had a trilogy as E.C. Blake under a pseudonym uh, called The Masks of Agrima. Then I had another standalone. And so now I'm, I've started a series. So is really the inspiration was wanting to have an open-ended series uh, and one that would allow me to write a lot of different kinds of stories. There was nothing more, more to it than just that 
sort of conscious decision to try to come up with an idea that would allow me to do that. Do you ever have to, do you ever do kind of like, I, I've spoken to some authors in the past and some do it and some don't. So it's an, it, it's always very interesting to get like, you know, the process of creating, you know, the worlds or anything, but do you do like sketches of the worlds or, you know, draw, draw things out so that you can then go into detail when you describe it in words? Uh, it hasn't played too much into this except for a rough world map. So I know, uh, you know, distances and, and where things are. Um, nothing too more specific than that. And the first one, again, I had the, the privilege of setting it in a version of our world. So I was able to use, you know, Google Maps and Street View and all that kind of stuff for details. <laughs> Google to the rescue. Yeah. And then I made up places as I needed because, again, it wasn't our world. Uh, I got caught on something, actually, uh, fortunately, by a copy editor where I had uh, my characters were sailing off the West Coast uh, out into the open ocean. And where I had put them, my copy editor gently, where I implied they were, my copy editor gently pointed out they actually were just sailing into Puget Sound and would run into land again in pretty short order. So <laughs> I had to move them south a bit, uh, south further than I had originally set them. I had them in Washington State and I moved them down to Oregon. Uh, so things like that, uh, I, I didn't have to do any drawings or anything like that. For uh, Master of the World, I did. It was still kind of our landscape, but with things moving around. And uh, so I used some sketches there just for me to keep track of where things were and make sure I had distances. And I had to calculate how fast my submarines were and how fast my airships were and make sure all the timing worked out. And then in the moonlit world, I made it really easy for myself because the whole thing takes place uh, in one 150-mile-long valley. So all I had to do was sketch that out with its side valleys and see what the distances were and where I put my castles and stuff. I didn't have to deal with the whole world. So that one, I actually made it quite easy on myself. <laughs> nice, nice. It's, it's always nice uh, when you don't have tons and tons of things to keep track of, I bet. <laughs> Yeah, the big challenge in any series, and even in the trilogy, and I've, I have a five-book young adult series, uh, which I've just put out again in ebook uh, called The Shards of Excalibur. That publisher went bankrupt, so it all came back to me. Um, but even in a short series or in a trilogy, uh, continuity does begin to raise its head pretty quickly. Um, and I don't know, well, I have actually talked to people like uh, on my podcast, uh, uh, Kevin Hearn, who had like a 10-book you know, series. And everybody agrees that there is a there is that challenge of keeping track of the own of your own details, <laughs> you know, because you can make up something. And this happened to me in the young adult series, The Shards of Excalibur. I kind of made an offhand choice in the first book about something that the magic would not allow. You couldn't do it using the magic that I had created. And then, you know, about two books later, I really wanted to be able to do that thing. <laughs> and I, I couldn't because I had already written myself into that corner. It just becomes a writing challenge. Okay, I have to find some other way around that problem. Uh, but yeah, the, and of course, you know, I can't even imagine. I, George R. R. Martin must have an army of people that keep track of his details and huge spreadsheets and stuff. Um, you know, you got everything from skin, uh, well, skin color, hair color, tons of things that you can easily let slip um, later on. And some reader will catch you on it. Oh, Absolutely. I think if, uh, in George R.R. Martin's case, I think if he needs a character to look a certain way and he's like, oh, crap, that character doesn't look like that, I think he just kills them off and just brings <laughs> a new character in. 
Yes, though that is a, that is a solution. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be his solution for all problems. Just eventually, just kill him off. I was reading because I'm putting out these uh, young adult books again in uh, in ebook, and they just went on actually just yesterday. They were finally all on Amazon. Um, I uh, I had forgotten that in uh, one of the books there was some backstory about a castle the characters are in in Scotland. It's a modern day story that they're visiting this castle and the. The laird of the castle says, oh, yes, we had this red wedding back in 400 years ago. All the guests at a wedding feast were killed, and that's how my family took over the castle. And I was clearly probably watching Game of Thrones just at the moment when I wrote that and decided to stick that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a uh, I think that's kind of a moment that for for people, any any one who watched Game of Thrones or read the books, everyone is very familiar with that scene. <laughs> So how long did it take you to to write these books each? You, I, I know you said it took it's coming out about a year each, but did yeah, I'm each a, book take you a year or? No, I'm a pretty fast writer. The year is not the writing of the book. It's the writing of the book and then the editorial revisions and the, you know, and all that stuff. Um, I, I can't say specifically for these books. I know how fast I can write if I'm concentrated and the fastest well, the fastest I've ever written a book was a, was 60,000 words in two weeks, which was the final book of this young adult series I've been mentioning. I wrote the middle book, 100,000 words of my uh, trilogy, The Masks of Agrima, in a month. So these, because I do other things all the time, you know, when I'm doing, putting the writing in around editing projects, or I was writer in residence at the Saskatoon Public Library for nine months, it's hard to say how long it took me to write something, but I would say that done in three months, probably from when I start to when I submit it to the, to the, uh, editor. That's, that's very impressive. I've always been a fast writer. I started as a newspaper reporter and editor at a weekly newspaper and, uh, you know, you, there's no such thing as writer's block when you work at a, at a newspaper. You, and as at a weekly, I was writing like three feature articles a week and all my news items. And I had a column and you just type, you just type and it comes out. <laughs> and fortunately, that seems to have carried over to fiction. Nice. So before we go, um, would you, when is this book available? I know it comes out very soon. And where can readers learn more about you, the series or any of your past books? Uh, the Moonlit World will be out September 15th. I believe, and it'll be available everywhere. Any bookstore you'd like uh, either will have it or can order it in uh, because it's coming out from Daw, which is a major publisher uh, with Penguin Random House. Uh, I should mention The Moonlit World comes out August sometime, first week in August, I believe, maybe later, uh, in mass market paperback. So you can pick that up. And World Shaper is also out there. And the ebooks, of course, are available as well. Uh, you can find out more about me at my main website, edwardwillett.com. Uh, you can uh, find everything you could possibly want to know <laughs> about anything I do at edwardwillett.com. Two T's on Willett, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. I also have an online store called uh, The Fantastic Worlds of Edward Willett, which is just edwardwillettshop.com. And you can order uh, autographed copies there and download some ebooks for the ones that I have ebooks uh, rights to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, really appreciate it. And it was really cool learning more about you and your book. It sounds very, it sounds very exciting. I, I like that it combines kind of like fantasy with sci-fi to a degree. 
I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope so. You you wrote it. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily follow, but in this case, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the podcast. If you love vampires or werewolves or both of them, then this book should definitely be on your reading list. Until next time, thanks for listening. And Edward, any final words for our listeners before we go? Hi, I'm Edward Willett, author of The Moonlit World, and you're listening to GeneBookNerd.com. <laughs>